0: You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 6 through 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, New City. How are you guys? Uh, My name is uh, Jesus Rodriguez. Uh, Call me Chewy. And uh, I am on staff here at the church. And it's a privilege for me to uh, bring the word to you again. And uh, we are in uh, a series of of the book of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, Will uh, began about two weeks ago. And so I'm going to continue today with uh, the last part of chapter 1, which is what we just read. And, uh, but before I do that, let me just uh, go ahead and pray for us as we hear the Word of God. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blessings. Thank you for everything you do for us. Uh, Lord, I pray today that, that your Holy Spirit will guide us, uh, will open our hearts, our eyes, our minds... That your word would come inside and transform us, equip us, uh, challenge us, and also comfort us. And that ultimately your gospel and your message and your love would be made firm in, inside of us. And that we would grow and, and then from here share it with others. In the name of Christ I pray. Amen. So there is a lot to unpack in this uh, little verses, or this four verses that we're going to be uh, talking about. And uh, just as, as a way of introing, uh, Will, talk to us a little bit about the letter to the, the church in Thessalon- Thessalon- Thessalonica. And uh, if you want to know more about how this church began, you can refer to the book of Acts. In the chapter, chapter 17 describes how this church came about. And uh, Paul, uh, Will mention that Paul is writing to this church, uh, which is in, in the area of, or the general area of Greece nowadays, and uh, this is not a challenging uh, or reprimanding le- kind of letter. This is more of an encouraging letter. This is not such a bad uh, church. This is not a church that has a lot of uh, gossip or bad things uh, going on as maybe the, the church in Corinth, but... Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a letter that seeks to encourage the the church in in Thessalonica. Sorry, I'm translating. I grew up with the King James in Spanish, so I try to like Thessalonica is es in español. Si hablas en español, si hablas español, So this is Thessalonica. The accent is completely different, so it throws me off. Uh, so I'm sorry. I'm going to be preaching in Spanish. Um, uh, and so I wa- I want to I want to talk about some of the things we see in this, uh, in this church that Paul highlights uh, for us this morning. And in full disclosure, uh, as I was preparing this sermon, this sermon is primarily for me. Uh, it's, this touches on things that are really hard for me to do. And, and I, I hope that as I preach it, it doesn't come across as me lecturing you on how good I do this. But actually... Uh, as an encouragement of somebody who struggles to, to do what we're about to talk about. So the first thing we see in this text is that Paul is congratulating or highlighting how is it that the, the, the folks in Thessalonica received the gospel? Will talked about how God chose them and the conviction that the gospel brought with them. And, and how that, uh, the word of God not only came through uh, a verbal proclamation, but through the power of the Holy Spirit as well. And then Paul goes on to say that they uh, received the word of God or the gospel message uh, with joy. But in the midst of pain. And and this is where I want to zoom in a little more. Uh, He later on goes on to say that because of this they became examples in in Macedonia. Which is again the the Greece area. And Achaia. uh, And they were so uh, known in that area that they became an example to the believers around them. And because of, of how they lived and how they acted or how they received the word, people heard about their faith and were encouraged by that. And in fact, Paul says that the word of God, the, the gospel sounded forth from them. Uh, some, some theologians say that they, they became sort of missionaries through uh, their example and also their proclamation of the gospel in their surrounding areas. But I want to zoom in on two elements that are important for us. And the main one would be this apparent dichotomy of having joy or being being joyful in the midst of suffering. But before I do that, I just want to also highlight that one of the things they did and and a current, recurrent topic of the book of Thessalonians is going to be the second coming of Christ. And we'll talk about this more as we go on into this letter, but... There is a reference to it in this, in, this, uh, in this text in chapter 10, and this is something that the Thessalonians did very well. They they awaited Jesus' return, and that's something that also became known, and they were an example because of that. But the way they received the Word of God, the way they turned from their idols to God, the way they... Uh, waited for the second coming of Christ, or they were awaiting for Jesus, points to an ultimate joy that it's hard for us to find. And that's where I want to zoom in today. I want to zoom in in this dichotomy that Paul talks about, that these people, and not only these people, we'll see that it was a common denominator with the church in the old days, or in the early days, we're able to have joy in the midst of suffering. And at first glance, this seems to make no sense. In fact, if we read verse 6 in the NIV, uh, they actually, the, the NIV actually says, you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And... Our world doesn't really have a grid to understand this. Well, in a way it does, but the way our world thinks about this is mostly in terms of some sort of wicked way, and it's called masochism. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's the idea of enjoying pain or receiving pleasure from pain. And this is not at all what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is not suggesting that we should enjoy our moments of difficulty, I've been accused of being a masochist because, as a Mexican, I enjoy the pain of eating spicy stuff. And I actually was called like that by an Argentinian lady, and she told me, you guys are masochists. How can you enjoy something that burns? And I'm like, well, I don't know. God made me like this. So, so that's not necessarily what the Bible is talking about. The, the Bible, when, when, when the Bible talks about rejoicing and suffering, there, it's not suggesting that we should enjoy our suffering or that, or that our suffering should produce inside of us pleasure or, or rejoicing. No. What this is suggesting is that while we suffer, there is an outside element that produces a joy inside of us. And so, that you, so, so you can have a better Idea of what's happening here. I just want to paraphrase a little bit of how the church in, in, in Thessalonica came about. If you read chapter, uh, Acts 16, you will see Paul coming out of Philippi, another church that was planted by Paul. And they delivered, they preached the gospel and they delivered uh, a girl that had a spirit, uh, but that some, the owners of the girl were prof- profiting from that. And they delivered this girl. That creates problems for, for Paul and Silas. And then they are mistreated. So they flee from that place and they uh, uh, go to uh, Thessalonica. And they're, they're preaching the gospel as well again. And some people believe, but the Jews didn't like that they some people were believing in that. So they, they create a mob and they uh, the whole city becomes uh, uh, unrest or goes to unrest. Uh, and they're trying to gather them. They go and grab a, a guy named Jason that apparently became a believer. They take him out to the authorities. They bribe him. They take money from him. And, and so they had to leave Again, Paul and Silas, they had to leave. The, the brothers from uh, Thessalonica grab them and say, you need to go. So in the middle of the night, send them out to another city. And that's how the church in Thessalonica came about. So I'm a church planter, and I don't think that's the way we are taught to plant churches. But this is how this church came about, in the midst of pain. And if you remember, back in the book of Acts, that was a recurrent theme. The church in the book of Acts was persecuted, was constantly in pain, and constantly in the middle of trials and tribulations. And in the midst of this, Paul tells us that these people received the word of God with joy. And I I really like that uh, uh, Will talked about this uh, a few weeks ago during the Easter time. And he said, back in the day, there was really no incentive for us to, became, to become Christians. And that was the truth. Back in the day, becoming a Christian was a life sentence, a death sentence. If you became a Christian, you were, you were signing up to be persecuted, to be isolated. And I want to suggest that that has really not changed that much today. The thing is that today our society and even Christian culture has taught us or has twisted Christianity to now make it into something that in fact avoids suffering. And there's topics like you can, if you become a Christian, you're, you can live your best life now. You can have whatever you want. God is a means to a, a better life. And we have come to believe that truly... Christianity is a way to a better life, meaning no suffering. But the reality of the gospel and the reality of the Bible is that being a Christian is living in the dichotomy of suffering and joy together. As Christians, we are to live with suffering our entire life. And I'm not only talking about the suffering of the world. I'm not only talking, to, talking about the suffering of the sinful and fallen world we live in. I'm talking about that we have, entrusted, have been entrusted with the task of suffering by God. And this is something that we are not taught often. But Philippians chapter 1 makes it plain to all of us. And it actually says, For, at it, for it has been granted to you, meaning the church, That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe. So it has been granted to us that we can believe in Christ. But you should not only believe. uh, Let me say it again. But it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Think about this for a moment. We have been granted believing in God. And along with that comes... Suffering for God as well. And I know this is not often a Christian message. But it's true. In fact, it doesn't stop there. Throughout the New Testament, we are called to identify with the, with the sufferings of Jesus. We are to uh, also participate in the sufferings of Jesus. But we don't like Talking about suffering. We don't like suffering. I don't like suffering. I'm, I'm, again, probably the worst person to preach to you about this. I don't like suffering. Everything inside of me would like to go back to the prosperity gospel and believe that if I name it and I claim it, I can avoid it. But that doesn't work like that. And something that Paul talks about in this, in this text is that the, Thess- the Thessalonians became imitators of Jesus and of Paul. And if you look back, that's what, it, what, what, what was something that was key in Jesus' life and in Paul's life? Suffering. What is it that Jesus came to do? He came to suffer What was the constant in Paul's ministry? Suffering. And somehow we want to think that that is not going to be the constant for us as well. We are called to suffer as Christians. We are called to participate in the sufferings of Christ. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 5 says... For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Philippians 3 verse 10 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. But we're not only called to suffer, We've, We haven't only been granted to suffer. There's something that comes with this suffering that makes no sense whatsoever for the world. And it's rejoicing. These people were... Uh, the, the church in Thessalonica started in the midst of an uproar and a mob trying to go after them. And they rejoiced. And this is what we are called to do as well. We live in a tension of... Being called to suffer and to imitate Christ and to uh, participate in the sufferings of Christ. But at the same time rejoicing and feeling a joy that doesn't make sense. 1 Peter verse four, uh, chapter 4 verse thir- 13 says, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. James 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Romans 5 3 says, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And again, it's not because we feel pleasure out of the suffering, but there's an element here that makes no sense other than unless we attribute it to what Paul says In in the text we saw today, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He says, they receive the gospel, the message in the midst of suffering with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you today, I want to zoom in on this. I want to tell you today, this is important for us. And this is important for the people around us. We are called to suffer through Christ. Being a Christian means that nobody's going to get you. We believe something that people think it's ridiculous. And the Bible says it. The Bible says that the gospel is foolishness for everyone around you. Whatever you think, what, what, the faith that you pro- profess, it makes no sense to the people around you. It's foolishness. Get used to it. People are going to make fun of you. People are going to say, you believe what? That's part of being a Christian. You're going to have principles, and you're going to have desires, and you're going to have wants that people, other people don't have. You're going to live in a way that other people do not live. And that is going to isolate you. That is going to make you look weird. And that is ultimately cost you, going to cost you pain. But it doesn't stop there. There is a joy that comes with it as well. But it's a supernatural joy. And let me clarify this, and I want to I make sure we understand this. This joy, that w- when we think of joy, we typically think of happiness. We typically think of, like, when our team wins. I'm Mexican. I love soccer. And every time La Selección Mexicana, or the Mexican uh, team, Wins, I'm just like, it's just the most amazing thing. My wife knows that when the World Cup comes, I'm like, baby, I'm not going to be with you for about a month. My mind is going to be in a different place. I want to watch the games. If Mexico qualifies to the next round, it's even better. But then at the same time, that happiness, it becomes anger so quickly. Anybody with me? Right? So when we talk about this joy that comes with suffering... It's not this happiness that depends on circumstances. It's not this, it, we're not talking about this joy that's fleeting, that goes up and down, that depends on circumstances or objects or, or situations or people. No, that, that's not what the Bible is talking about. This joy that we're talking about is not happiness. In fact, curiously enough, the word uh, joy. In in, in Greek, it has the same root as grace. Grace is uh, charis uh, and and joy is kara. And something that I've been learning about, and and we can talk about this later if you want and you can ask me about it, is that uh, our society, the Western world, has individualized a lot of the things or the way we see uh, uh, some of the message of the gospel or some of the language in the Bible. But grace... And joy are not concepts that are just for you to understand or to live that have only uh, something to do with you or your circumstances. No, grace is not just the, something that happened 2,000 years ago. No, grace is, it has a, a relational connotation, a relational component to it that makes it something that's ongoing between you and God. Grace is not the way God treated us. 2,000 years ago. No, grace has to do with how God treats you every day. And the same thing, it's about joy. Joy doesn't have to do with things that go and disappear. No, joy has a relational element. In fact, the joy that is talked about here is a joy that has to do with a person that is close to you in relationship at all times and that will never leave you. The joy that the Bible talks about the, the only reason why Paul and James and Peter can rejoice in the midst of circumstances and in fact commands us to rejoice in circumstances is because of a person that's with us through the circumstances. It's not based on the situation. It's not based on what you're going through or what you have. In fact, Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about that. He says, uh, one of those verses that everybody has misquoted, right? I can do all things through Christ. And and, and what Paul is talking about there is that I know how to live with or without because I'm with him. Because he is my joy. In fact, Philippians 4 is very blatant to us. And he says, rejoice in what? In the Lord always. And the only reason why he can say that is not because of what God gives you. It's not because of what God will allow you to to do or or how he will uh, uh, just allow your circumstances to develop. No. The only reason why Paul can say rejoice in the Lord always is not because of you. It's because of the Lord. It's because he's saying rejoice in him. He's never going to leave you. He is never gonna let you go. The whole world can fall apart, but guess what? You can rejoice in Him because that joy has to do with you and Him. It's that relationship between you and Him. And in fact, if you read the whole chapter of Philippians, you will see that Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but do what? Go to Him. Talk to him. Get close to him. There is a relational aspect of joy that we forget. It's not based on our circumstances. And again, listen, I'm preaching to myself. I am someone who struggles because as soon as I see that my kids might not have something, I start to like... And then the bills and, 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 and something happened and I was like, oh my gosh. And the budget and this and the car. It needs to be like, I, I had to change the timing belt of my car. And that's one of the biggest expenses if you know what a car or about cars. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, where am I going to get? Like I, I immediately resource to my circumstances. And I forget that the joy that God has provided for me relies on the fact that he is with me. And that is the reason why these people, the Thessalonians, were able to rejoice in the midst of such a difficult time. Because God was with them. And not only that, they became an example to the people around them. And they turned from their idols the things that they thought were giving them satisfaction and peace and stability and security and security they turned from those things to serve the living and true god they abandoned the things to now be in a relationship with a person a god who's living and who's true and not only that now that they, they now await for him that's what verse 10 says. They turn from the idols and serve the true and living God. And they now await for Jesus, for the second coming of Christ. Do you see the thread? Everything is relational. Everything has to do with God himself. Everything has to do with being with the person. And if you look at the whole at the whole uh, text that we have in front of us, if you have it in front of us, is it's almost like they were in love with God. The Thessalonians received the message with joy in the midst of difficulty, and they became so uh, uh, so in, on fire for God that they became examples to everyone around them. Verse 7 says so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia. And then and then they started talking about what God did through them and the joy they had and they say for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. This relational aspect, this joy that they had, started not only infecting them, now it started spreading like COVID everywhere. <laughs> and it began in one place and then suddenly it was everywhere. And, and, and Paul is acknowledging this. He's like, it, was, it's, it wasn't only in, in, in Macedonia and Achaia, it was now everywhere. And he actually says, so that we need not say anything. So they were going to places and they were like, oh, yeah, the people in Thessalonica already told us about that. Oh, well, can I tell you about, oh, yeah, yeah, the, those guys in Thessalonica, yeah, they told us about that. Okay, well, I won't say anything to you then. That's what Paul is saying. And then he continues to say, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living the living and true God. These people experienced something that allowed them to turn from their idols. And the, the word idols here truly means the, the, the statues and all the images they used to, to, to worship. And back in the day, and, and I'm familiar with this too. Because in my country, this is something that uh, my ancestors did too. It's like you had an idol for everything, right? So if you wanted to have a baby you would go to the idol that was the fertility one. And in Mexico, we have saints for everything. So there's a saint for if you want to get pregnant. So you would serve that. Or if you wanted uh, to start a business, there there is a saint for, for the business. Or There's like saints for everything. And these people used to have the exact same thing. And they realized quickly, I don't need all these things. I need a relationship with this God. I need this person that will be with me throughout everything and will never fail me. They realized that their idols were never going to satisfy them. They realized that that their idols were never going to provide what they needed. And there's one place for us. There is one moment or several moments in our lives that will expose truly our faith and what suffering and joy does to us. And those, those moments are crisis. Crisis will shed light on what is more important to you. And will also shed light on what is it that can truly, truly provide what you are looking for. When you find yourself in a, in a crisis, money will not be enough. Your job will not be enough. Your parents will not be enough. Not even your wife or your husband. Your education. When you're in a crisis, it all comes down to one person that can only help you, and it's God. I remember back in 2016, my son uh, was born under under very difficult circumstances. It was a Monday when my wife went to get checked because she was pregnant with my fourth kid, and uh, she wasn't feeling well, and my wife has a really high pain threshold, so when she tells me that she's feeling bad, I now know that she's really feeling really bad. But back then, she went to get a checkup on a Monday, and she was seven months pregnant, and I received a phone call from the doctor, and the doctor told me, we need to take the baby out today. And I rushed to the hospital after figuring out what to do with my other kids. And the doctor told me, if we don't do this, you're going to lose both. <laughs> In that moment, everything disappears. Your money, your education, there's nothing That can save them. And the operation isn't even a guarantee. And that's when you realize. There's only one person that can help me. And that's Jesus. And that's the only thing I could do. And and, and it wasn't joyful at the moment. But the only thing that kept me through the whole thing. Until today, it was like a whirlwind. Hospital bills piled up. We didn't have insurance. In Mexico, uh, uh, the place where we went, they made us sign a, 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 a something that said that we were going to pay before they ex- admitted her. It was horrible. I remember the people were chasing me because the bills just kept piling up. And I was like, what am I going to do? Uh, with the last bill, I, I swore we, we kind of calculated. We could have bought like, or given a down payment for a house with all the, all the medical bills. And I had no money, no ability to do anything other than to run to Jesus. To get on my knees and to beg. And that's what we did. And that's the only way we know who can we trust in. And that is God. God is the only thing that can allow you to feel joy in the midst of suffering. Putting your eyes on God is what will allow you to go through this life without losing your mind. And that's what these people did. They waited for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I want to invite... All of us to do the same. I want to invite all of us to to consider what is it that we are placing our trust in? Are we trusting in our strength or are we running to God? Are we trusting in what we have or are we putting our eyes on the Son of God and what's to come for us? Because let me tell you, it's gonna get better. Let me tell you, there is a suffering that's coming that it's eternal and it's horrible and you don't even want to hear it or see it and it's called hell. And God delivers us from that. And he has already given everything so that we can be delivered from that. But we need to put our eyes on him to be able to to go through what we go through today. And I want to close with this. This joy is not something we can manufacture. It's not even something that you can just attain by praying enough or fasting enough. No, it's through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit only comes to you through the gospel, through the grace of God. The Holy Spirit is something that's only available to the Christian. It is a gift for all of us. So I want to tell you, if you're a Christian, if you have received Christ, if you you have said and you walk as Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, this is available to you. You can tap into the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit right now, today. You can go to the Holy Spirit and you can do what Paul says in Philippians. and, and, And instead of being anxious, talk to him. And the peace of God will be with you. You can understand when Paul says they were, they, were, they, they were rejoicing in the midst of suffering. That is available to you through the Holy Spirit. And if you're not a believer, I want to tell you straight up, it doesn't matter how much success you have, you cannot cope with the sufferings of this world. It's happening right in our backyard. Two of the most influential, well-known people are fighting on a nasty divorce case that everybody's watching. And it does not matter how much money you have. It is horrible. There's only one hope. There's only one joy. There's only one way to cope with the sufferings of the world. And it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that you don't have to get your act together if you're not a Christian. You don't have to fix your life before you come to Jesus. He loves you so much that he came down and he knew you were not going to be able to make it on your own. He came down. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. He paid for our sins. He was, he was beaten. He was destroyed for our sake. He was nailed to a cross. He bled in our place and he paid for our sins. Without even us asking for it. He died for you too. And he wants you to have eternal life. He wants you to be deliver, delivered from the wrath that is to come. To come, And this is all free. This is all by grace. This is all, this is all because he loves you. Because he wants to be in a relationship with you. And if you're not a believer. I would like to extend this invitation and tell you. Come to Jesus. And experience a life that is supernatural. Meaning, it's not from this world. And yes, Christians are weird. But being Christian is not being better than others. Being a Christian is understanding that we are so weak and so frail and so not perfect that we desperately need a Savior. So if you identify with that and if you're at the end of it and you know and you accept that you are not enough, there is someone who's enough. If you understand you're not strong enough, there is one God that is strong enough and who loves you and it's Jesus Christ. And if you repent and you come to him, he will embrace you. He will make you part of his family. He will bless you. He will carry you to heaven and you will spend eternity with him. And this is free. And as a closing, I would like to just read Revelation chapter 21. This is, this is our hope. This is the ultimate joy that God will give us after all the suffering we've endured in this life. And Michelle was just talking about moms who lost their sons or 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 moms who miscarried as Christians we have an amazing hope that one day we'll be back with those people and one day by the grace of god we'll live in a perfect world just listen to the to the description of our home forever from revelation 21 this is where we're going to be by the grace of god Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. The former things have passed away. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ through the gospel. A day without pain. A day where the worst things that you've experienced in this life will pass away. And that's all attainable to you today by the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can now rejoice in the midst of our pain. Let's go ahead and, and pray. And before we pray, I just want to um, say that we are going to also receive communion. And we're going to, in a tangible way, respond to the gospel by remembering that the, the, the only way we're going to be in heaven, in this new earth, in, the, in, the, in this new heaven, is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So today we're going to do something that's called communion. And we're going to take a piece of the bread, a piece of bread and a piece of wine or juice. And we're going to remember that when you eat the bread, we remember that Jesus' body was beaten for us that he was placed on the cross and suffered in our place so that we can now rejoice. And that his blood was spilled and his blood now cleanses us from our sin and provides eternal life for us. And doing this is a public proclamation of our faith in Christ. It's a public way to remember what Jesus has done for us. So if you're a Christian... I want to encourage you to take communion, come to the front, grab the elements, and rejoice in what God has done for you. Because through that, you have guaranteed an entrance in the perfect world. And But if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to again consider opening your eyes and your heart to Jesus and, 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 and receiving Him as your Lord and Savior and repenting from your sin and come to Him. You can talk to me or, or Pastor Will Uh, And we will be more than happy to help you with that. But if you decide not to do it, we also want to ask you to abstain from taking communion. Because this is something that's uh, for believers only. So let's pray and then we'll take communion. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blessings that are just impossible to count in, in the gospel. Thank you for being A good God who allows us to have a joy and a peace and a satisfaction and hope that is beyond our understanding. Thank you, God, because even though we live in a sinful, hurtful, difficult world... We have an amazing, loving, compassionate, gracious love of God. We have you. And I thank you. I thank you. I pray that all of us would run to you, would tap into the Holy Spirit, would put our hopes in what's to come. And I pray, Lord, especially today, that if anyone is suffering, you would bring comfort. You would bring uh, a joy that, 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 that comes from knowing that you are with us and that you would never fail us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.